We are in Surah Zumar, Surah number 39, and Ayah number 27. وَلَقَدْ ضَرَبْنَا لِلنَّاسِ فِي هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ مِنْ كُلِّ مَثَلٍ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَتَذَكَّرُونَ قُرْآنًا عَرَبِيًّا غَيْرَ ذِي عِوَجٍ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَتَّقُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explains to us that we have coined for people in this Qur'an of every example, metaphor, simile. Mathal, um, the word mathal means everything that I've just said. So that they may become mindful, take heed, and they may pay attention and then follow the description in the mathal, uh, in the example, in the metaphor, in the simile, and so on. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying that one of the styles of addressing people, the Quran brings in many different styles of address, many different types of conversations many different types of moods. So one type of address and conversation is through symbols, parables, metaphors, similes, all included in the word mathal. Darbul amthal, coining images and similarities is an art and is part of literature. It's part of conversation, it's part of prose, it's part of poetry, it's part of what we call in Arabic kalam, speech. Um, so the Quran brings in all of these various types of speech to inform people primarily that the Quran is not a book of poetry, number one, nor is it a book of prose nor is it simply a legal document or a constitutional article, nor is it a book of novels and stories. It is the complete kalam. It is the complete speech of Allah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses to bring various parts of human speech includes them in his speech and his speech has much more than human speech. So this is an ayah which on its surface speaks about the literary beauty, magnificence and the supremacy of the Quran. That human beings cannot match uh, the speech of Allah because their imagination is very limited their creativity is limited, their knowledge is 
limited and so on. So, their limited knowledge and their limited creativity uh, will and should help them submit to the supremacy of Allah's speech. That is the challenge Allah is bringing in this ayah. If you read it the way it's translated, you won't get this meaning. But you must understand the platform from which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking. He is speaking from an eternal platform and the speech which is eternal. And in his eternal speech, he's going to have eternal abilities to correspond and to converse and to convey and to convince and all of that. So those people who understand literature, understand art and understand conversation and dialogue and understand reading and writing, they're all baffled with ayat like these, verses like these baffle people who are well read, well written, and people who are the belle lettre tradition of understanding what is literature, what is prose, what is poetry, uh, what is novel writing, and all of that. So one component of speech is darbul amthal, coining examples. Yes, Allah coins examples so that the message is delivered. The difference is Allah's speech is eternal, so the words are also eternal, and the language is also eternal. Therefore, the words Allah chooses in the example are also magnificent, and they're majestic, and they're beautiful, and they are inimitable. They have ajaz in them. You cannot overcome the words of the Qur'an any more than you can overcome the meanings of the words of the Qur'an. It's not just the meaning. You must appreciate the Arabicness of the Arabic of the Qur'an, which is what the next ayah says. That's where the people of Arabia, when the Qur'an was revealed, were baffled. They were just handcuffed, literally. And they're dumbfounded and say, we can't repeat anything like this. We can't think of anything like this. We can't con conceive of anything like this, nor can we express anything like this. Mm. That was the challenge. And that was how the Qur'an overcomes the uh, intellect of the human being. So the Qur'an is now convincing and proving that it is above and beyond human intellect and also human intuition. Because if you know anything about the arts, uh, when you study arts, then you know that most of it is intuitive. Hmm. When you sit down and write, uh, whether it's prose or poetry, or whether it's drama, or whether it's fiction, or whatever, uh, then you know that you have to be in sync with your imagination which brings about a certain intuition. And the lyrics of a song comes to an artist intuitively, or the words of a novelist and the examples or the plot uh, inside the book comes to him intuitively. Not only there, but also in science. And sometimes scientific discoveries are made intuitively. Uh, 
They're not one plus one equals two. All of a sudden something happens and you get an inspiration. There's a spark, literally. Ah. Yeah, so that. So if you know, understand intellectual uh, processes by which you will um, conceive and induce thoughts and also the intuitive processes by which you will conceive and then also deduce and conclude then the Quran is above them. Quran is way above any human uh, intuition or deduction, uh, individually and collectively, both. Meaning if all human beings and the jinn, the Quran says, if all human beings and the jinn collectively gathered to bring something remotely similar to this, they won't be able to do so. It's not possible because they're created and that's the point the point is to show the difference between the creator and the creation so the creation's limits are up to here and where they finish that's where the creator starts and that is in the ability to speak and to deliver so this is how now you see this ayah speaking volumes about the miraculous nature of the word of the Quran. So Allah says, وَلَقَدْ ضَرَبْنَا لِلنَّاسِ فِي هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ مِنْ كُلِّ مَثَلٍ We have coined for people in this here Quran every simile, metaphor, example, parable, etc. لَعَلَّهُمْ يَتَذَكَّرُونَ So that they may take heed, meaning if they understand just the words of the Quran, that they come from an eternal source, they will succumb intellectually and intuitively to the Qur'an and then they will benefit from the revelation. But if they don't, then they won't. Qur'anan Arabiyan غَيْرَ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَتَّقُونَ What is this now? The darbul amthal and the coining of the examples, it is a Qur'an which is Arabic. Quran that is Arabic meaning the Arabic language is chosen because it is the best language to represent Allah's eternal word Allah's eternal word and communication is best represented through the Arabic language which is something that has been proven time and time again no other language will have the flexibility, the versatility, nor the depth, nor the breadth of language and wording in order to represent a single concept of the Qur'an. All languages will fail to represent the depth and the breadth and the meanings of the idea and the aqeedah that the Qur'an brings forward. Some people may have, they, they have written books on this, but basically, you say Allah could have chosen any language, but He chose the Arabic language because it is the most representative and the most versatile that it carries the apparent meaning of the idea and it also carries the inner meaning. So it represents both the esoteric, which is the inner and the exoteric, which is the outer. 
That is what the Arabic language brings to the table. So the Arabic language was chosen as a divine language as opposed to the previous language which was also a Semitic language, the language of the Torah, the language of the Zabur, and the language of the Injil, as you know, was the language that the Jews spoke. Um, so this is now how Allah chose the Arabic language because it's a language that the Arabs spoke. So who spoke the Arabic language? The Banu Ismail. And who spoke the language of the Torah? The Banu Israel. So the Banu Israel became to be known as the Ahlul Kitab, the people who then wrote their revelation or the revelation that came to Musa and to Dawood and to Isa and they learned through the written language whereas the Arabic language is a spoken language it relies heavily very heavily on the oral tradition because the words once they are inscribed they take on a form and the language that the Quran uses to the Prophet doesn't have a physical form. It has a apparent meaning and it has a deeper meaning and so on, but it does not have a physical written form until later on when the Sahaba wrote down the words that the Prophet recited. Anyway, that's a discussion for another day. The Quran is in the Arabic language and the Arabic language is chosen because of many factors. One is that it is versatile and number two is that it is easy to recite in the Arabic language than it is in any other language. It is soft and easy on the tongue. Another reason why the Arabic is there. The word Quran itself means a recitation. So whatever is easy to recite uh, will be now very easier to promote. Uh, so now, as I've mentioned before, you, if you recited Alif Lam Mim in Arabic, it sounds extremely romantic and passionate, melodious, and so on. If you, were try, if you try to do the same thing in English, a, B, Z, you won't get very far. Huh? You can see the difference. A world, a universe of difference between trying to recite A, B, C in a melody uh, and the Liflam meme, and the Liflam meme just flows from your tongue. Uh, where there's a lot of taqalluf in A, B, C that actually bring out the letters. Where there's so much effort there. And Alif Lam Mim is effortless. Another reason why Arabic is chosen, because it's easy on the tongue. Yeah, easy on the tongue. Anyway, for those of you who say, oh, the Quran is in every language. No, Baba. It's in the Arabic language. <laughs> when we translate an eye of the Quran, we have to say it is a translation. We cannot say it's the Quran. So when you have a copy of the translation of the Qur'an, you must say, this is a translation of the Qur'an. You cannot say, you have the Qur'an. 
Obviously, it's not the Quran. The Quran defined is is the the revelation given to Muhammad in the Arabic language, and it is preserved and recited. That's the formal definition of the Quran. If it's translated, it's no longer the Quran. Therefore, there's no reward in reading the translation of the Quran, but there's reward in reading Alif Lam Mim in the original Arabic. You understand? So this word here, Arabian, is loaded. So you mustn't assume that it's an Arabic Quran. No, no. It's not just Arabic. It is Arabic, period. Understand the depth of the word here, Arabian. What does it mean? First of all, there's a historic con uh, construct, which is the Banu Israel. They read in the Hebrew language, and they wrote in the Hebrew language. And the Banu Ismail, they read in the Arabic language, and then they wrote the Arabic language. It is an oral tradition. Hmm. That's the historical construct. That's why Allah chose the Banu Ismail over the Banu Israel because of the Arabic language. And the second is that the Arabic language is easy to recite. And number three, that the Arabic language is so well constructed and organized that it carries the possibility of holding the exoteric meaning, the apparent meaning, and also the esoteric meaning, the inner meaning in the same word. So it's versatile in so many different ways at so many different levels. That's why this Quran and Arabian is an Arabic Quran. This is the fadila of the Arabic language. The Prophet said that Ismail السلام, as you know was not a born Arab. Hmm. He was born to Ibrahim and Hajar, who were both non-Arabic speaking. <laughs> right. His children were born into the Jurham, which was an Arabic tribe, a Yemeni tribe, which spoke Arabic. And since his children became the speakers of Arabic, we say this is the tradition of the Banu Ismail. Hmm. The Banu Ismail. The children's mind. The Prophet said that Jibreel came and taught your father Ismail. He said this to Jabir. That he came and taught your father Ismail the Arabic language. So the Arabic language which came from Ismail was revealed and inspired by none other than Jibreel, which makes it a very spiritual language. Then the Prophet said, Except your people, O Jabir, they kind of destroyed the language. That's what happens with the living language. Over time, it becomes corrupt and distorted. And then you have these additions and subtractions, and you have everything that comes with any living language. Then the Prophet said, Then Jibril came and taught me the language also. As he taught your father Ismail. So that is how we see the Arabic of the Quran and the Arabic of Muhammad being in sync. Anyway, so that's just a short summary of the word Arabian. 
as well as the academic intellectual discussions of the Arabic language. As I said, people have written books. You may want to find them out, source them, and perhaps read them. Which is one which is not crooked. A language which is not crooked, meaning that it has no deviation, uh, it has no abruptness, and it has no roughness, and it is straight, that it doesn't need to be trimmed, or hemmed, or pruned. Yeah. When you have a branch, then obviously you're going to trim and prune the branch, and so on, so it becomes uh, in sync with the rest of the tree, and so on. But this Arabic language doesn't need any pruning. It is already pruned. It doesn't need any trimming. It's already trimmed. There's no room for any kind of distortion in the words of the Quran unless your inner is distorted in the first place. But the word itself will, is not subject to any kind of distortion or deviation from the intended meaning. Yeah. So this is how Allah subhanahu wa brings down to us examples from the Quran in the Arabic language so that they may have taqwa and they may become God-fearing and they may become closer to Allah by appreciating the Arabicness of the Quran. This taqwa is based on the fact that the Quran is Arabic. You understand what I'm saying? There's a level of taqwa there. What does that mean? This is intellectual and this is academic. Parts of the Quran are intellectual in the sense that only ulama will appreciate what the Quran is saying. So you mustn't assume that the whole Quran is easy for everyone to understand. That's not what the Quran says. The Quran says about amthal, which we've done, Surah Ankabut, وَتِلْكَ الْأَمْثَالُ نَظْرِيُهَا لِلنَّاسِ وَمَا يَعْقِلُهَا إِلَّا الْعَالِمُونَ these are the examples we coin for people. But only the learned people will understand them. That's what the Quran says about the Amthal. And this I speaking about the Amthal also, the metaphors and similes, etc. So only those who are learned will understand. So this taqwa here is intellectual. That at an intellectual level, you'll concede, I don't understand this. So you sit down and shut up. Then that's the end of the story. That's your taqwa. You have to concede and submit that this is superior to my intellect. And I'm not going to bang my head against the wall by assuming I can understand because I am an intellect. Your intellect should now coincide with your ability to understand so that they may be God-fearing. That's your taqwa. You fear Allah by saying, I'm not capable of understanding this just yet. If I develop the ability within me, then I will understand. But I have some work to do. And when you do that work, you have taqwa. But if you just, out of the blue, all of a sudden, because you can read English, you say, I can understand the Qur'an because I have these academic papers and I'm a brilliant scholar and blah, blah, blah. Right? That's why the non-Muslim can never understand the Qur'an. 
Why? There's no taqwa. A non-Muslim can never understand the Quran. Neither the beauty nor the majesty. A few points of law here and there, that's fine. But that's not what we mean by understanding the Quran. Understanding the Quran requires first and foremost taqwa. Taqwa means to fear Allah. If you don't believe in Allah to begin with, how are you going to fear him? And if you don't appropriate knowledge to the Prophet وسلم, how are you going to now live your taqwa? So we have to be careful that any knowledge of divine wahi resides only in the Muslim community, not in the non-Muslim community. They may explain phenomenon, and they may explain some accounts of history, and they may try to compare <coughs> and, uh, what's the word, uh, deconstruct, hmm? but they won't have taqwa. If you don't have taqwa, you will not understand what Allah is saying, because in order to understand what Allah is saying, you need to take heed, which is what the previous ayah says, لَعَلَّهُمْ يَتَذَكَّرُونَ You must follow through with the idea in the Quran in your lives. If you don't follow through with it, then you do not understand what the example is about. So لَعَلَّهُمْ يَتَّقُونَ So that they may have taqwa is referring to academics, and those people who claim that they, for they are from an intellectual tradition, that they must concede. And this was the most difficult thing for the Quraysh to do. One was obviously that the social order the Prophet Islam brought to the people of Mecca, there should be no vulm and injustice and so on. That was difficult. But that was difficult because of commercial reasons. Because they did not want to give up their commercial superiority because they thought that if they gave up this, then they would have no say in the matters of uh, Makkah and so on. But this was even more difficult because this was intellectual. To submit uh, that my intellect is not capable of conceiving, number one, and number two, understanding what a certain speech says, uh, that is antithetical to the word Arab. The word Arab means someone who's able to express. So if you tell somebody who's Arab, you can't express, then obviously you, are, you have destroyed his reason for existence. That's why it was difficult for them. Almost impossible for the Arab to concede the superiority of the Quran, and especially a Quran that came from an unlettered person who didn't know how to read or write. So, لَعَلَّهُمْ يَتَّقُونَ refers to the intellectual submission of every human being that in front of the Qur'an, I understand very little. You must concede that in order to benefit from it. And if you don't, then you won't benefit from it. You may have little pieces of information here and there that might sign brilliant and magnificent in front of people who don't know anything. The blind leading the blind. And in conferences, you have all these great non-Muslim scholars of Islam mesmerizing the audience. And people say, Allah Akbar. That is not only a fad, it's a bid'ah of the worst order, worst kind, that you can take your deen from a non-Muslim. 
that doesn't add up to our standards. Our standards is based on taqwa, you must do salat, you must do salm, you must do zakat, you must do hajj, you must stay away from alcohol, you must be pure, you must have hygiene, you must have ethics and morals, you come with the whole package that is Muslim. Then a Muslim is able to understand enough of the Quran that he can live his life according to the rules and regulations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and according to the sunnah. And that is what taqwa is and that is the understanding that is needed. The understanding which is not needed is hypothetical and speculative and theoretical. That's not needed. The ummah doesn't need that. And number one, number two, the superiority of how Muslims understood the Qur'an it's very clear and evident from our academics and our scholars, not only of the past, but also of the present, that our understanding of our book, which is the Qur'an from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to Muhammad is far greater than any understanding that any non-Muslim can bring to the table. That's just a fact. Now, you may want to say that uh, we should listen to what they say too, uh, that's fine. I mean, if you want to be published and you want to be a good academic and you want to observe the standards of academia today and do all that, that's fine. But that's a utilitarian approach. It's not the real approach to so that you take heed and you draw closer to Allah. The point of reciting and understanding the Quran is to draw closer to Allah. It's a spiritual mission. So your intellectual tradition must draw you closer to Allah. That is taqwa, and that is the Ghazalian model also. The Imam Ghazali left all the academic tradition so that he could draw closer to Allah. And then he understood Islam with that spiritual connection to Allah, and he became who he became. That's just one example of many in our history. But anyway, what I'm saying is that the breadth and the depth of knowledge of the Qur'an is only possible to access with taqwa. Not without taqwa. It's not possible. It's not humanly possible. This is one thing. So anyway, what is the example? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He has now given us a backdrop and a background to coin in examples that examples are there in this Qur'an in the Arabic language for these reasons. And what is this example? A very clear, simple example. Baraballahu mathalan rajulan fihi shurakaw mutashakisun. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala coins an example of a man. A man in which there are other partners. I mean, there's a slave. The slave has several owners. Mutashakisun. And they're vying with each other. And they're confused about each other that who is going to ask this servant and slave to do what and how many portions, which portion do I own? So what is my portion of ownership in this man and what do I tell this man to do? And can I tell this man to do something for me today? While another person says, another shareholder says, I want him to do this today. And then they fight and they quarrel and they kill each other, basically. That's the example. That's one man. وَرَجُلًا سَلَمًا لِرَجُلٍ And there's an example of another man who is simply for one. 
He is owned by one person. The Quran asks, Can the two be similar and the same in example? And the answer is no. Because the one who has one boss will do everything for the one boss and things will get done. And the one who has multiple bosses will not be, be able to do anything and nothing will be done. So the performance of the servant is based on the type of ownership that there is. And if the ownership is with shirk, then he won't be able to do anything. And if the ownership is with tawheed, then he will be able to do everything. <coughs> so there's an example, mathal, ostensibly for shirk and tawheed. It's a very simple example. It is coined in the language of the Arab. <coughs> it is coined in the language of the Quraysh. So that the Quraysh and the Arab both understand that this is how Allah is now condemning shirk. That if you give your ownership as a slave to these gods and idols and statues, then you don't know what the heck you're doing. That if you give your ownership to one Allah, then you can please one Allah. That's easy. It's much easier. And it's very simple. It's also very dynamic and inspirational, as you can see. So once this example is coined and Allah reveals the example, then people are left dumbfounded as to how stupid their shirk and polytheism is. Hmm. Right? This stops them completely. Okay. We don't have a response to the meaning of the ayah. But more than that, they don't have response to the words Allah chooses to coin this example. And we don't have time to do all that, as knowing Arabic would be a prerequisite for that exercise. Alhamdulillah, Allah then says, all praise is due to Allah in the fact that the Qur'an's words are eternal and in the fact that the Qur'an's meaning is easily understood once you put your mind to it. That is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Alhamdulillah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not saying Alhamdulillah because they're committing shirk. Right. What is the Alhamdulillah there for? Alhamdulillah is Allah's own commentary on his own words. So this is another way of addressing people. And it's another form of speech that you have insertions in your conversation which come from a different perspective altogether. So this is the factual statement. Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses words and coins examples with the words that you know. So now these words Allah uses in the coining the example, they're very ordinary and common everyday words. But when you put them together and you coin, right? The use of the word coin in English also helps you. When you coin and forge the words in such a way, that they bring this immense and tremendous meaning and concept down to earth, then that has to be miraculous. They cannot be the same. Yeah. Alhamdulillah, all praise is due to Allah for his eternal speech and so on. But the truth is most of them, they don't know. Meaning they don't know the beauty and majesty in the words of Allah's revelation. And even if they understood the concept behind it, which is quite simple, they will not understand how to apply it and they will not take heed and they will not have taqwa and so on. And this is how we find this example in a very easy way to understand.
Indeed, you, O Muhammad وسلم, will die. Um, indeed, they will die. So now you have two ways to understand this ayah and to appropriate it. One is that it is hypothetical in the form of a style. It's a stylistic address that Quran uses in order to bring a point across. If it is not meant to be literal, then you may have a point. But even if it is literal in the sense that Allah is saying that you will die and everybody else will die, it does not negate the fact of the Prophet Sallallahu life in the barzakh, in the grave. Allah Subhanahu wa will give everybody a taste of death at some point of time in their, <coughs> in their lives and so on. Anyway, meaning everyone is going to die. Everyone is going to perish even though it may be for a split second mm. yeah, that death eclipses the life of a Nabi temporarily then life comes back as the sun <coughs> comes back once it is eclipsed mm. so in that sense there is life for the prophet and every other prophet that is our aqidah is our sunni aqidah Prophets are alive in their graves, they, their bodies do not decompose, and so on. وَإِنَّهُمْ مَيِّتُونَ Indeed, they will all die. Everybody is going to die. Everybody is going to be subject to some, some kind of um, perishing. كُلُّ شَيْءٍ هَالِكٌ Everything is now perishing. كُلُّ مَنْ عَلَيْهَا فَانْ Everything is about to be annihilated. And so on. So that is the that's the difference between Allah and the creation. The Prophet Muhammad sallallahu is creation. He's not the creator. So there has to be a difference between the two. So as grand as his status is in the eyes of Allah, he does not become Allah. He does not become God. Okay. He receives the word of God, and he becomes the word of God, but he doesn't become eternal. And that is how you must also see this ayah theologically that although Allah calls Isa the word of God he also calls Yahya the word of God neither of them do we say are God whereas in other religions and theologies people will say that since he is the word of God he is God so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refuted that by calling Yahya Kalimatullah also Yahya is also the Kalim of Allah he's also the word of Allah but you don't call him God either. You call Isa, Jesus God. So we say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals his word to the people. And because of that eternal word, there are signs of divinity on the recipient. <laughs> when you receive this eternal word in the form of Injil or in the form of the Quran or the Torah, or the Zabur, you will have elements of divinity, signs of divinity in you, but you will not be called the divine. Mm. Yeah. That's the difference. Because you're close to the divine, no doubt because of the suhbah, 
and the proximity to the divine, you may take on certain attributes of the divine, like reviving the dead and curing the sick and all of that. Huh? But that doesn't make you divine because the divine is always divine and the creation is always creation. There is no bridge uh, uh, from which you cross that. Uh, so this is that is referring to the creation of Muhammad that you are still created. And in that sense, you are dying. And they also created and they also dying. Everybody is dying. In the process of dying and perishing and being annihilated by Allah's nur and so on, you are going to taste a little bit of death sometime. And that is fine. But as far as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, now uh, giving death to the prophets completely and holistically, that's a discussion in our theology that we have also. But here the point is that after we have coined this example that you are a slave, meaning prophets are the best slaves of Allah. Yeah. Allah calls the angels who are almost divine and they're celestial beings and they're spiritual and they're made from nur, which is created nur. He calls them ibadun mukramun, that they are honored servants. So now you all, O Muhammad you are a servant of Allah, you are an abd. Yeah. So you are owned totally, completely by Allah and it is in your servitude and in your service to Allah uh, that you are now standing and you are above others. So the more service you render to Allah and for Allah, the more you will be close to Allah. And likewise, they are also servants of Allah, whether they know it or not. So this mayyit may also refer to the idea that you have no will or intention of your own. You are to totally subject to Allah's will. You do everything that Allah wills. You don't do anything out of your own will. You're totally annihilated in front of Allah. Whatever Allah says, I do. I receive wahi. He doesn't speak from his own whim and desire. It is nothing except wahi that is given to him. So in that says a total submission to Allah's will in the sense that he is a total Muslim. Who is a total Muslim? The one who submits to Allah's will in all affairs, whether it's legal in terms of sharia or whether it's cosmological in terms of the taqween and kawm, whatever Allah wills for me, around me, it's all from Allah. In that sense, mayyitun has also the esoteric meaning as it has the exoteric meaning and that is the beauty of the word mayyitun. Yeah, so mayyit may refer to both at the same time. And also likewise with them, that if they also follow you and your methodology, they'll also be dying the way you die. That you kill your nafs, you kill your desires, you kill your will. Total submission to Allah. That is how a Rasul is and that's how he always is. Anyway, more of that perhaps another time. ثُمَّ إِنَّكُمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ عِنْدَ رَبِّكُمْ تَخْتَصِمُونَ And this ayah proves that there is a spiritual context to the previous ayah. And then all of you in front of your Lord 
on the Day of Judgment, you will be disputing, arguing with each other. So what is this argumentation in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? One will argue that uh, he told me to do shirk, and the other will argue that I never told him to do anything. That's a very apparent meaning from the words of the Quran in other places. People will have this dialogue uh, that you told me to do this. And they will say, no, we didn't tell you to do anything. And so on. So the leaders will be blamed by the followers. And the followers will be blamed by the leaders. That is also a dispute. And those who are totally in submission to Allah, they will not have any kind of debate or what's it called, a dispute with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They'll be in front of Allah and they'll be in pleasure. They'll be in bliss and they'll be with Allah's ni'mah because they have already killed themselves. Allah will not need to kill them in the sense that killing their desires in Jahannam. So they will cry for death in Jahannam, the people who go there. Allah save us all. And they will want death in Jahannam, but death is not coming to them in Jahannam because they did not, not they did not know how to kill their their desires in the world and conform with Allah's will. So these ayats speak of conforming with Allah's will, and in that sense, you are a dead person in the hands of Allah. So Allah takes you the way He takes you. He is alive and He is eternal, and so on. If you don't do that here, then on the Day of Judgment, you will be disputing and arguing with other people and trying to pass on the buck to others, blaming others and not being responsible for your own sins and mistakes. Anyway, we will be on break, inshallah, for the next two weeks. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us and correct us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Give us taqwa so that we are close to him at all times. Ameen ya rabbal alameen wa sallallahu ta'ala wa khayr khayr fi muhammadi wa alihi wa ta'ala wa sallam. Bi rahmatika ya rahmatika.